you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's traders, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Mark Tepper, and Steve Grasso. On the big show tonight, the last Beyond Meat bull just backed down. She'll be here to explain what has her waving the white flag. Plus, stocks sitting just below record highs, and one top strategist says there's a new Trump trade. He'll tell us what it is and why it's your best summer bet. But we start off with the Facebook fallout, the stock taking a hit today, sinking back into a bear market after report says there are emails showing Mark Zuckerberg knew about the company's privacy problems. This as the House Judiciary Committee's bipartisan investigation on big tech moves forward. Is there more pain ahead for Facebook? And just how vulnerable is big tech? And in turn, the market rally, Tim. Well, so first of all, let's talk about Facebook as a function mm-hmm. of big tech. It's 5% of the triple Qs. It's a very, it's a very big way. It's a, it's a name that a lot of big institutions are very comfortable holding. There's a bit of scarcity value in social media. Despite all of Facebook's troubles over the last, call it two years, uh, it's a stock that I think probably a lot of people feel very comfortable owning because the valuation is hardly demanding. But, you know, that to me is part of the reason why Facebook's valuation is hardly demanding is because I think people do believe that management's always been a step behind on the cyber story. Um, the, the, the trust issues, I think the privacy and the data issues are still things that plague this company. It's not surprising for me to hear that this is uh, information that's coming out now. And I think the market probably has already priced a lot of that in, however. Uh, but it's a big weight. And I do think big cap tech during a dangerous time for markets, which you can argue it is when, when we have so much outstanding right now. Big tech should be defensive. Valuations overall aren't bad. And this is not what you need. Yeah, it's, it's up 32% year to date. So it's very difficult right. to, to start feeling sorry for Facebook. I agree with, with all of what Tim said, but I think it's mostly in the name already, and I don't think these congressional hearings I are going to do much. That. I, think, I, I think there's just too much uncertainty here. That's the problem you have is, are advertisers going to start backing away from Facebook? And I'm not necessarily saying they are, but as a market participant, you have to make some assumption that somebody's going to, there's going to be uncertainty out there, and we don't know what advertisers are going, are going to do. Coupled with what Tim's kind of saying, this is not a great market environment. This stock, to me, looks lower. This is not a great development for Facebook. Well, I think what we learned today and, and the reaction the stock really underscores this notion that as these investigations go on, things can be uncovered mm-hmm. and things can be revealed to the public that show that maybe Mark Zuckerberg knew about some privacy actions. This was this particular email that's being highlighted by the Wall Street Journal happened after the FTC consent decree was announced, before it was enacted, but basically inquired about an app that collected a lot of user data, and the user data was then in turn shared on that app, um, despite what the users may have said in terms of the opt-out and privacy. He asked about it, and so he knew that there was something there. Yep. But nothing happened until later when it was shut down. Well, I mean, they're cooperating with the government as far as these privacy right. inquiries go. So I'm not concerned about that. They've said they've set aside three to five billion to pay any potential fines. I think they're doing everything they have to to really make sure they stay on the right track. Uh, really, the big opportunity in front of them is commerce through Instagram. So, you know, we talked about some of the advertisers. I mean, if you're Nike and you want to sell a shoe direct to consumer, there's really no better way to do that than doing it direct to consumer on Instagram. Instagram if there's a commerce platform rather than just running ads and having people go off the platform to your website 
it's going to be nice to have that commerce done right there. I don't think there's going to be anything done through the congressional hearings. I think that both sides, uh, first of all, it's, it's definitely a, a Democrat and Republican uh, concern. So it's bipartisan that they want to crack down on social media. But they're, they're willing to listen. They're willing to ask. They're looking for the photo op. But I don't think they're oh, willing I, to I do agree. anything. I, I don't think Congress is going to get their act together, even on a bipartisan issue, to actually do anything per right. se. But can there be damage done to the stock? Can there be volatility yeah. introduced into the tape as the investigations go I mean, on and as things are It, it are calls into question there, you know, can they execute on their plan to integrate all the platforms that they want to do? Will they now have too much information for people? Will advertisers back away from that or balk at that? All that amount of uncertainty, I don't think is in the stock. I think today was just the beginning of it. Now, at the end of it, if it all comes out and we say, hey, you know what? Advertisers never backed away. There's going to be a huge buying opportunity in Facebook. It's just not today, in my opinion. So, again, let's just look at the triple Qs and let's talk about tech as a function of the overall market. Microsoft is 10% of the weight. Uh, but then if you get into Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, those are four companies that make up about 32%. Um, that all have some headline over the the last two weeks, three weeks, months, as far as investigations. Then you throw in the fact that, look, if there's three things that you're concerned about Apple, uh, one of them is is, is truly just a, a hardware issue, but the other one is truly uh, China pushes back, and the third one is that there's no reason to go to the App Store, or there's pressure on the App Store, which is the regulatory headline. So, so you know, it's all traded so well. The, the most important thing for me on a night like tonight is that what happened in the last six or seven sessions for big cap tech. You outperformed the S&P by 400 basis points. You were up 10% on the triple Qs on six sessions. It's all about positioning. You went from oversold to now actually all of those indices, whether it's triple Qs, whether it's the semis, they went from relative strength indicators that were getting back near December 24 lows to getting back to 65 or 70 on an RSI, which means you're just almost at overbought territory. Yeah, I, I think you have more room here to the upside. Uh, first of all, overbought and o- oversold, as everyone knows on the desk, can be can unwind Quickly. itself. And I, exactly. So I, I think it can relieve itself. But I think if the market's going to move higher, which I do believe it will, people are going to have to reach uh, reach for these names, for tech, for consumer discretionary. And these names are going to be in the target zone for everything that we just talked about. I don't think it's a tremendous headwind anymore. I, I'm less concerned about tech than I am about the, the average stock in the stock market right now. Because if you look at the, the equal weight S&P versus the cap weighted S&P, and you look at it from January 1st until today, performance has been about the same. But when you look at it from February 20th until today, the average stock in the S&P 500 has been underperforming the, the overall index significantly. And if you can't get a broad-based rally, I think that's trouble ahead for the market. And a broader, and I don't know the answer to this, and I, if I had a couple minutes, I'd pull up the chart here. But on a broader basis, though, in a longer time frame, isn't that true all the time, though, if that bigger, the bigger cap stocks have outperformed? I mean, in this, in this era of FANG, right. isn't that what we've and, seen? And with the era of ETFs as well, you tend to have this concentration in really crowded positions. But for me, if I look at the market, right, I, last three days I come into the office, I see futures looking pretty decent. I see the market trade up. By the end of the day, everything is faded. That is terrible price action in the relatively short term. Add in all the news that we got today, and to me, I think if we broaden this out, the move, there is some problems. But look at the move that we've had. We had an aggressive move off that 27 right. That's exactly the point. Right, right. But what I'm saying is that people should give a little bit back. And, and uh, to Mr. Tepper's point, when you look at the XLK and you look at the tech 
ETF, you've had a terrible month. You had it's up one percent. You've had this rip roaring rally that we've had. So there has been other sectors that have pulled. We have had the defensive names, the utilities names, the real estate names. Those names have done some heavy lifting. Now it's time for. Tech. Are we not doing Mr. and Mrs. on the desk? I just want to get sure. I want to leave the rest of the show. I've got this down. I mean, I, I, I want to. We are very calm here all the time. So if I, if I say David, it's the wrong name. So I just say that as a compliment. Well, sir, should we talk? I mean, since we're talking about tech and, and some weakness there, shifts today extremely yeah. weak on this very bearish Evercore note, saying that there's no recovery until the second half of 2020. Look, go go back to first quarter earnings. Listen to the people that you wanted to listen to. Listen to the guys that really talk about the the essentially the chip cycle, whether it's Texas Instruments, whether it's Intel. Nobody had anything. Uh, let, let me. Tone down the, the hyperbole. It, it wasn't constructive tone for most folks. Okay, so when you when you layer in the fact that uh, some of the leading spending and some of the capex and some of the opex that's coming out of enterprise because of the trade war or whatever we're calling this, uh, I don't think bodes very well for semis. You, it, it, if the chart guys are here, they're going to say we traded right back up to the 50, which is now resistance. Uh, and in fact, like clockwork, um, it traded up. I'm not saying you have to test down another 15% on semis, but it's hard to get very excited other than the trading range. And, and the, the, the semis, the strength that was in the semis was not consistent with a lot of the export data that we saw coming out of Asia, which is obviously where a lot of the semis are coming from. So there was a disconnect in the underlying fundamentals or the underlying macro here. So add that to another pile that makes this market a risky bet at this point. So, so the same way that, that BK, you had said that Facebook, it wasn't in the name. I, I'm going to say that the overall market, since we're talking basically semis, and that to me means tech and that to me means macro, S&P. We ran up. We we are above. We we ticked above the 50-day moving average. Settled back down right at the 50-day moving average right now in the S&P. We could even trade down another 70 handles and still be in great territory to rally from that point going forward. So, so, so it would take a long time to shake you out of your bullish position. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you're I willing think that to sustain down, down to, 70 on S&P. It comes, to, it comes down. Well, we were down, you know, much more than that. It's only 50% retracement from 27, to, uh, 22 up to where we were. But for me, I, I, I look at our trade headlines going to be better or worse going into the end of the month, and we know that rates, although they might not be cutting immediately, they might not be cutting in July. They're not raising in July. So we have that still on hold. So we do have a backstop for me. And I but do think there's limited downside to the overall market. Don't, don't you think, Steve, we have a case where the Fed is, ex- first of all, Fed futures are telling you 90% between now and July or July. Yeah. Right. I should say. So July or before. It, what if we don't get that? I mean, equities basically are pricing in higher multiples for the S&P based upon lower rates right now. Right, so it's 81% base, guys. I, I, but the problem is... So Mr. Grasso is going to call me a liar for yes. 9%. Mr. Grasso, sir. Here's the problem, though. We know they're not raising. So are you going to short the market based on the Fed not, not, not cutting rates? Yeah. And the answer is no, you're not going to... 100%. You're a cowboy. The rest of the people are not going to do it. You know why? Because the rest Mr. of the Cowboy. market got their faces ripped off when we traded from 27.22 up to We're not to at 27.22. We're at the highs. We're 2% off the highs. The, it's a why, do you think we ripped, why do you think we ripped so aggressively? Because of the, because of the Fed. Of the Fed. You have said because all along it it's brief. because of the Fed. Yeah. So if the Fed doesn't what do does it what the markets you? think, then what happens? But what does it tell you, though? The reason why we ripped so, high, so much higher on based on the Fed was that the marketplace was caught off balance. They were not So why would they be caught off balance now when everybody's pricing it in? No, because they're chasing the 
cover now. They're not going to lay out the shorts again while they got their faces ripped off. When I don't they know, know about they that. have a cut I, I that's mean, coming, whether it's coming I, in July. I, I, I don't well, know a lot of people who got their faces ripped off. I know a lot of people that are laying out shorts. Your face looks pretty good. Thank your you very much. Good. Thank you, doctor. You're welcome. I, I, I would just say this, um, and I like to look at things uh, like the bull bear indices and the spreads, the AAII, whatever you want to look at. Um, we're at a place here where we're not at all-time bullishness, but we're not terribly far off. of. We're certainly a lot closer to highs on bull indices than we are near the bottom. And, and it's all about positioning, positioning for me right now, because I, I don't think you have an obvious play in terms of, of and, either and so policy direction or market If I pass you a note, and I, it said... What, if you pass me a note, would it say Mr. Seymour? With the future hold, and it said, Mr. Seymour, yes. the Federal Reserve is not going to cut interest rates by July meeting. Yeah. Well, I, what would you do I, I think I, I, would, I would certainly be preparing my book against also the interest rate sensitive cyclicals. Actually, have gotten a boost on that because the perception is that it will immediately drive growth. Um, so, no, I, I think if you don't think the Fed's going to cut, and as we just said, 81 or 90 percent, you, you know, the market is telling you it's yeah. going to. The bond market is screaming rate cuts, and, and I'm not sure it's right, but that's, you know, it's up to the Fed. All right. Well, as take tech's a hit, tech, tech takes a hit. <laughs> the S&P is about 2% away from all-time highs, but our next guest says this is the time to get defensive because things are going to get ugly. Ooh. Let's bring in Michael Kantrowitz from Cornerstone Macro. Michael, welcome back. Good Hi. to see you. Thank you. Why are things going to get ugly? Well, we're at a point in the business cycle now, uh, which we would say is the most dangerous part. It's where leading indicators, coincident indicators like earnings and payrolls, and now lagging indicators are starting to fall. The fact that we're talking about a Fed cutting rates, that in the conference board's indicators of macro data is a lagging data point. So the point is it's hard to find data that hasn't already peaked and is not getting worse. And so we do think the Fed will eventually cut rates because the data would, is going to be bad enough to warrant that. And we think that'll be met with uh, lower markets, not higher I'm going to pose the same question as I did to Tim. If I slip you a paper that said, Mr. Kantrowitz, <laughs> the Federal Reserve is not slip going to note. cut rates yeah. by the slip July 20 meeting, what would you do today? Well, I, you know, the market has certainly been aggressively pricing in cuts. And I think, sure, if, if they come out and surprise a little hawkish, that utilities and REITs maybe see some pullback. But I would be in staples and healthcare because the data is still not getting better. We think it's going to continue to weaken, and maybe the Fed is just behind the curve. How much of this outperformance of defensives do you think can be attributed to dollar strength since really the beginning of 2018 until today? And now with the Fed set to potentially ease, we could look at a dollar potentially weakening. Quite frankly, I think there may be an opportunity for the next six to nine months for cyclicals to actually outperform defensives. We think the dollar is going to rise. And if you think about why has the dollar been strong? It's been strong because the global economy has been weak. The Canadian dollar, the Mexican peso, the euro, the uh, Australian dollar, nothing is rallying because those economies continue to see bad or worse data. If the Fed cuts rates, we're likely seeing rate cuts elsewhere around the world as well. So you're not going to see a big change in those interest rate differentials. And ultimately, when markets become risk averse as the data weakens, the dollar tends to do well. So um, in light of this ugly scenario that you're envisioning, you have the Trump trade. And it's yeah. not Dan's MAGA thing that he talks about all the time. It's a, it actually is T-R-U-M-P. So can yes. you walk us through what this is? Sure. It's, uh, it's a bit of a different Trump trade than uh, 2016's Trump trade, which was the reflation global growth trade. This one's a little different. It's more defensive. It would be treasuries as your T, so TLT. Uh, REITs, IYR is your ETF there. XLU for utilities. Uh, M would be momentum, MTUM. Momentum's starting to show some signs of strength here on defense. 
and precious metals, GLD. So TRUMP. You just make up the M? Because I feel like you made up the M. It, it, feels, <laughs> it feels like the M doesn't, it's like one you right. know, doesn't belong. Yeah. Yeah. And it's momentum. like momentum may not belong. Is this this notion of this idiosyncratic growth trade in, well, in the face of slowing global Momentum growth? has been more driven in the last six weeks by defense more than growth. And so we're now six months past the V bottom of the market, the low in the market. And so what is, what is momentum today has been increasingly defense, low beta, utility staples, REITs, not necessarily tech, and certainly not the cyclicals. So MTUM, though, that ETF, isn't that mostly tech? It, is that mostly technology? Um, um, momentum in general, but okay. there's, yeah, there's some tech in there, but momentum is going to change. Momentum is what has worked over sure. six months, over 12 months, so the, the names in a momentum portfolio are always going to be changing based off of recent performance. Michael, talk about precious metals. Gold has been kind of a widowmaker for people that have right about this time chased into gold, and, and this is four or five times over the last two years where gold should have been breaking out. Um, why is this time different? Well, I think this time is different is that uh, we are now entering a period where I think due to the Fed tightening cycle, which I still think we talked about this last time I was here, is a uh, force, uh, a negative headwind that is still with us and will be with us for another nine months or so. We're seeing the broadest based, uh, broadest global slowdown in the last 10 years, I would argue. Closest risk of a recession I think we're going to see in the last 10 years. And so gold, I think, can do well for the same reason I think the dollar will do well in, in more risk averse fashion which we haven't really seen in, in a few years. So last quick question. Um, even if the Fed cuts interest rates in July, even if it cuts again in September and December, do you still see this trade working? In other words, you don't see the market actually picking up overall. You see these sort of defensive areas uh, as outperforming still. Yeah. The periods where the market, where the Fed's cutting rates and the markets are doing well are in the 70s when we had massive inflation problems. Uh, the Fed had to hike rates in a recession, killed inflation, and then as the Fed eased, the market went up. Or in the mid-80s, the mid-90s, when consumers were borrowing like crazy, which is not the environment we have today. All right. Michael, great to see you. Thanks for coming by. Michael Cantrowitz, Cornerstone Macro. What do you think of Michael's Trump trade? I I think that I agree with the utilities and I agree with the staples. If you want to play that as a safety bet against if something goes wrong, but I think ultimately the market will back up a little sideways, sideways to lower, and then will rip higher. And in those notes that you were passing, as you said before, <laughs> if there's a positive trade one, uh, headline on one of those, that will be the next leg that takes. The I always got in trouble higher. for passing notes, by really? the way. Yeah, so, I, mean, I never pass. Yeah, I never, I never didn't. pass notes. Anyway. You know, to help the folks out at home, instead of the silly note talk that Tim's had here, <laughs> um, I, I would just say that this has been a trader's market. We've seen massive rotation between sectors, between industries. And so I think looking at this this, this Trump trade, put that on one side of your trading ledger and say, you know what, when things look kind of weak and things look kind of scary, maybe that's what I rotate into. And then when we get one of those whoosh down days where everything seems really like it's falling off, then you might want to look back at tech again. So when it comes to defensives, the only sector I really like right now is healthcare because it hasn't participated in the rally this year. I do prefer cyclicals and I think it's a playable move. It's not a sustainable move, but over the six to nine months, there's an opportunity there. All right. Check out shares of Lululemon. The stock soaring after reporting earnings. The CEO is speaking on the conference call right now. We will bring you those comments. Plus, no bull. The last standing Wall Street analyst with a buy rating on Beyond Me just backed down. She'll be here to explain why. And later, the rookie returns. Mark Tepper is stepping up to the plate to pitch one beaten down name he thinks is about to break out. We will explain why. He will at least. Well, much more Fast Money live from Times Square, two minutes away.
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Lululemon soaring in the after hours off its earnings report. Sarah Eisen covers all things athleisure, and she's been monitoring the conference call live at the New York Stock Exchange. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Melissa. The star of this report is 16% comp store sales growth, well above expectations. What drove it? CEO Calvin McDonald just said men's continues to be a strong place in this business. Listen. Within the men's business, comps grew 26% with ongoing strength in both tops and bottoms. The business was led by our ABC franchise and three core short styles. The main driver continues to be our core categories across both men's and women's. However, we've identified several areas of white space where we can test the waters and bring innovation to our guests. So besides men's, it was really a story of international strength. E-commerce growth continues to be double digits. And that white space that McDonald just laid out, that includes the new self-care products, shampoos and deodorants that Lululemon is getting into. He just said on the conference call that they're going to open 50 new stores for self-care next week. I also just wanted to mention guidance because initially the stock took a hit, coming in at the lower end of expectations on the numbers. A little more color on that. The CFO just mentioned that it does take into effect, Melissa, what they call indirect effects from tariffs. In other words, they don't have a ton of direct exposure to China in terms of demand or production. It's the fact that they are having to move to air freight because the port congestion in Asia is getting so crowded because of tariffs and anticipated tariffs, and that's costing them on margins and earnings. So interesting color there on how the whole trade fight is impacting Alulu which says even if the next round of tariffs go through, that's where a lot of apparel and footwear could be included, they're only exposed by about 5% of finished goods. Back to you. All right, Sarah, thank you. Sarah Eisen from the New York Stock Exchange. Athleisure stocks taking off this year. As of today's close, shares of Under Armour, Lulu, Adidas up around 40%, while Nike is trailing up 11%, but still trading at all-time highs. Should investors chase this run in athleisure, Tim? Well, uh, you know, it's, it, it, you can look athletic and not even have to be it these days, so why not? Keep going. You know, you have this case where this is a stock that's been a total beast. It trades at 45 times. The numbers are really uh, tough to live up to, except for, you know, I have to say that, you know, that those, those same store sales comps of 16%, that's, that's extraordinary. And when the men's part uh, of, that, of that overall spectrum of, of product lines continues to grow as it does, digital has been a major driver for these guys. Um, I would just say, I, you know, I don't need, I, I, I'm not running for the hills. But, but this stock has been on such a massive run that I think Athleisure is back. That's great. Look at Nike. You know, you name it. Um, I'm not buying it here. I love the stock. I mean, you're talking about a best of breed product right now. Flawless execution. The problem with me is the price right now. I mean, if this thing were to pull back to about 150 bucks, I'd back up the truck and I'd be buying as much as I could because I believe in their growth story that much. It's just too expensive. It's come too far too fast. 
It's up 40% yeah. year to date. And I think it, the, it reflects, does that move up 40% reflect all the good news that's already in it? But they, they gave out, a, a, they released a bunch of initiatives about a month ago, and we've heard them all. They wanted to double men's revenue by 2023. Digital, they wanted to double and quadruple international. Yeah. How do you bet against that? But I'm, I'm a little perplexed about the guidance that they gave, so it was a little juxtaposed with it. But I think this has been the winner. You wait till it backs up a little bit. It has been overpriced. Or, or you can wait for that momentum and see if it breaks sustainably above 180. But in an environment where you don't have a lot of growth choices, this company has growth, and there's a lot of levers they can pull. The one thing we haven't mentioned is, the, is what they call OTC, or office travel commute. That's an entire new brand area that they're, that what, they're getting into. What, what do you wear on the way in? What do you wear, BK? Uh, what, I mean, you you're well, doing something like, yeah, a, yeah, like a stretchy like pad a leggings, yeah. Like an American like flag leggings. Like a jegging, yeah. For men? Yeah. No, seriously, what is no. OT? What is OT, that? OT, office, office travel and commute. So, so that's so why the, why, that's why the men gym. think it's okay to you wear take it easy on the way pants in, to work? Yeah, so like if you have to wear a suit to work, but you've got a long commute, Maybe you put on a pair of stretchy pants for the ride home. <laughs> Some yoga pants. That is like, awful. My, my. <laughs> Things we learn about BK. Uh, I'm Melissa. This pants. Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up tonight on America's Post-Market Show. Would you like to sample our vegan bacon? 100% meatless. Yes, please. Well, like it or not, the meatless mania continues. But the only Wall Street bull on Beyond Meat is backing down. Sir, is there a problem? I'm just making sure no one ever has to eat this. She'll be here to explain why. Plus, the rookie returns. Mark Tepper is stepping up to the plate to pitch one beaten down stock he thinks is heading for a breakout. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is official. Everybody on Wall Street has a beef with Beyond Meat. Oh. Bernstein downgrading the stock this morning from outperform to market perform, saying the valuation is way too high and the stock is too volatile. And with that, not a single firm on the street recommends buying the stock right now. It is stuck in limbo with no buys, no sells, and a whopping eight holds. The stock has nearly left <coughs> excuse me, orbit since its May 2nd IPO, up almost 500% since going public. The analyst behind today's downgrade joins us now. Alexia Howard is senior research analyst at Bernstein. Alexia, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Um, you still, you're still 
confident about the growth prospects oh, of yes. Beyond Meat. Absolutely. Where should it be trading at right now? The, the, the trading range, I mean, it's been astronomically volatile, as, I, as you mentioned just now. Um, when we've looked at comparables, you can't really look within the food space because all the old, tired, legacy food companies are just not growing. So you have to look outside of the sector. We looked at Pure Circle out of Europe. That's the Stevia company that's, uh, that's based over there. We also looked at the cannabis companies, uh, looking at Canopy trading between 13 and 17 or high teen range of, of EB to EV to sales. Uh, and we basically looked at where the stock is trading today for Beyond Meat, and it's simply feeling a little bit too stretched. It's trading at 31 times sales uh, at the moment, and uh, that feels a little bit overdone. And that should be more like mid-teens is basically what you're we saying, basically, Yeah, we fixed our target price today at $123, saying that's 17 and a half times our forward uh, uh, sales estimate. So when you're thinking about the long-term prospects for Beyond Meat, uh, what is the total addressable market that you're thinking of? Well, we're looking at about $40 billion over the next 10 uh -huh. years. And the way that we're getting to that is saying, look, meat, the meat market in the U.S. is about $270 billion. If you look at the way that uh, the nut-based milk market developed, so almond milk when it took over from soy milk, uh, that's taken about 15% of the market over the last 10 years. If the plant-based meat market does the same thing, that would give you a $40 billion market in about 10 years' time. So if you're going to make the comparison, into a nut-based milk market. I mean, nut-based milk makers never traded like Beyond Meat, nor will they ever. So even if they were able to, you know, capture a sizable share of that total addressable market, does that really earn them any sort of a premium multiple? Well, I think we had we had soy milk around for a long time. So those nut-based milk makers were only ever growing at a high single-digit rate. We're talking about a company that's growing in the treble digits. It's more than doubling. Last year, it did $88 million in sales. This year, it's expected to do at least $210 million. And we had the news this morning that Tim Hortons is rolling the uh, the breakfast sausage product out across Canada. So there's a lot more, there's a lot more rapid, much more rapid growth here. So how big is the moat that this company has? Because I know their direct competitor is Impossible Foods, not a public company. But can other food companies come in and reproduce this? Because with the nut-based milks, it seems like you just press a bunch more almonds and you got more milk. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I could throw a few almonds into my Vitamix and I'd have some almond milk. Right. This is very different. I mean, Beyond Meat has been around for, uh, for 10 years at this point, and they only launched their first product in 2016. Uh, so this has taken a long time to develop. And I think as you look at the plant-based food market as opposed to the plant-based beverage market, it's much more technically difficult to get right. So the moats are going to be bigger. Having said that, it, what that probably means is that you're not going to get private label products and a gazillion tiny little companies trying to break in because the R&D cost is simply too high. But what we are seeing is that Tyson and Nestle, companies with deep pockets, are trying to get in. We've got Nestle launching a product with McDonald's as we speak uh, in Germany, for example. I'm curious about how you think about whether or not Beyond or any of the competitors that may exist in the future can actually capture that total addressable market. Because if you think about them, I mean, this is, this is what I've run into in terms of the people who are interested in Beyond. Beyond Meat. They're vegetarians looking for another alternative. There are people who are con concerned about the environmental impact of eating meat. And then there's the, there are the meat eaters out there, which is probably the biggest sure. part of the pie at this point. But in order to capture those meat eaters, don't you at least have to make a product that is nutritionally comparable or better uh, or cheaper or even at par in price? I mean, those seem like tall orders because if you actually compare the nutritional value, it's not clear to me that it's actually You're better winning. for you, yeah. and it costs more money. And I understand right. there are going to be people out there. I know there are people out there who are saying, oh, but you don't kill a cow, you don't you know, have a big carbon footprint, all that. I get that. But still, th these are very real 
choices. Sure. Yeah, and I, I really <laughs> don't think it's particularly a health and wellness play right now. I think these products are still fairly heavily processed, but it is an animal welfare um, um, uh, play. It is a climate change play. I mean, the resources that, that it takes... So that to, market is much smaller then. Possibly, <laughs> although I think you have a millennial generation that is genuinely very, very concerned. I mean, you look at the uptake uh, and the, the kind of sales lift uh, that Burger King is talking about getting as they put these products uh, into the market. There clearly is an interest in... We're also seeing just generally across the population people trying to reduce their consumption of red meat somewhat and trade into things that are, are somewhat different. So it's not really a health and wellness play, but I think it's uh, for other reasons, other values. Okay, Alexia, you're going to have to leave it there. It's a great conversation. Thanks sure. for coming by. Alexia Howard of Bernstein. Um, who was the last standing bull on Beyond Meat. Steve Rasso, where do you stand? I, I, I agree with uh, everything that you just mentioned. It's, if, if they're loaded with preservatives and they have five times the sodium content of a burger, I, I'm just waiting for that campaign from the meat industry to start saying that these substitutes or plant-based meat substitutes are not healthy for you. So I think they're going to have headwinds there. You're not going to have the same headwinds when you look at almond milk. Almond milk was, either you made a clear choice. It was not an unhealthy choice for you. And I think you're going to have a lot of people saying that these are not healthy choices. But I'd rather be with a Tyson that could pull multiple levers and has deep pockets versus being in the stock. Mark? Yeah, I mean, I think in order for this thing to really take off, I think it needs to be the healthy alternative. And I'm just I'm not convinced that it is. I mean, I've done all the research on the opposite diet, which is the paleo diet, hunter, gatherer, fish, steak, it veggies, doesn't fit for right? Paleo and it doesn't fit for keto. And those Correct. are two major diet. Correct. They're, right they're non-processed foods. And when you look at the blood work before and after 30 days apart, I mean, the blood work gets better on paleo. I don't know that that would happen with Beyond Meat. Almond milk, paleo, I don't know what's happened to this show. <laughs> All right, so let's just go back to uh, when Alexia talked about tired old food companies, that's the thing that worries me the most. How about tired old McDonald's that suddenly got into fresh, fresh beef and kiosks and things that are hipper and more? I mean, Kraft has no choice. Uh, there's nothing that keeps these big tired old food companies out of this market, whether this is meat disruption or not. They are best positioned. There's no way I pay for this multiple. I don't know. I, I've had both. I had almond milk this morning and I had an impossible burger. And stretchy this pants on the way to and work. Stretchy, Mr. I might even be wearing Mr. BK. But the, the point is, I actually think there's more to this stock. Now, maybe it comes back. It's going to be incredibly volatile. Maybe you get a chance to buy it at 125. But there's a portion of the population right now that is curious about these new products. Everybody who tries them says, hey, they're not that bad. I feel better after I eat them. So let's call them beyond curious folks. I think there's still a growth factor there. All right, coming up, American Airlines is the worst performing of the airline stocks, down 30% in the past year. But next, we'll tell you what the CEO just said that has investors pressing the buy button. Plus, Mark Tepper is going to head over to the mound to give us his fast pitch on one beaten down stock he says is about to break out. Fast Money's back in a flash. Welcome back to Fast Money Time. For a fast pitch, Mark Tepper's over at the plasma with his best pitch. Mark, take it away. All right, so my fast pitch for today is Alibaba because, quite frankly, I think right now you have a tremendous opportunity to buy an awesome stock on sale. Why do I like it? Three main reasons. Number one, you have access to the growing Chinese middle class. 
Alibaba is basically the Amazon of China, and they're working with four times the total addressable market that Amazon works with here. There's 1.4 billion people in China, about 325 million people here. Furthermore, the middle class in China, they're seeing rising incomes and therefore they have more spending power. So you want to have access to that middle class Chinese consumer. And then Western brands want to have access to that Chinese consumer. And they do have access through one of their platforms. Second reason we like them, underlying businesses. So the market is still pricing this thing as if it's just your traditional online retailer but it's so much more than that. They have underlying businesses such as cloud, they've got food delivery, they've got finance, and of course their e-commerce business, and their top line is actually growing faster than Amazon's top line. So 40% year over year on e-commerce, over 80% year over year on the cloud, and probably their most important asset in my opinion is their user data. So they have over 700 million monthly average users. They're tracking each and every move they're making. They're able to provide that to third party vendors so the vendors can really streamline and focus their marketing dollars in their marketing efforts to get the best return on investment possible. And then the, the uh, valuation is extremely compelling as well. So let's look at a couple charts here. So the first one, we're looking at Amazon versus Alibaba. And you can see Alibaba, up until about 2018, was outperforming Amazon. But in 2018, what happened? The dollar began to strengthen and emerging market stocks began to underperform. Well, Alibaba is one of the top five positions in the Emerging Markets Index, so when those sell off, these, this stock is going to pull back. So since then, Alibaba has underperformed, but we think it represents tremendous opportunity. So just a few, maybe a month or so ago, this thing was trading at about 200 bucks a share. It's at $160 right now. They're growing the top line faster than Amazon. EBITDA growth is right in line with Amazon and it's trading at a better valuation. RSI right now is right around 45, which shows that it's you know right, in over, right around oversold territory. So we like the stock right here, right now and love it at 160 bucks. All right, uh, Steve's got a question for you, Mark. So Mark, when you look at the, when you look at the uh, comparisons on the charts that you just brought up there, you could have brought a trade optimism or pessimism and overlaid it and it, it's in lockstep with Alibaba. So even though all fundamentals can be 100% accurate that you just stated and they could have nothing but uh, rosy skies ahead, what happens if we get a negative trade headline, this thing plummets regardless of whether the fundamentals are intact or not? I, look, I think right now, based at this price, most of the bad news is priced in and the risk reward from here going forward it's just very attractive. It's got a very compelling valuation. I do think this stock is going to accelerate over the course of the next year or so. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I do think the dollar is going to decrease in value a little bit as the Fed begins easing. I think that's going to be good for emerging market stocks. I think that's going to be good for Alibaba. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying or selling Mark's pitch on Baba? Tim, what do you, I know what you're going to say, but say it anyway. Uh, well, I, I have to say I'm buying Mr. Tepper's fast pitch here um, because I, I am long Alibaba. I, I do think it's traded back nicely on the trade war uh, kind of redux over the last week, and it's been very volatile. But there's some of the parts and financial. Uh, there's a lot of different levers to pull, and I don't think they have the same regulatory pressure. BK Brian Kelly. Uh, BK Brian Kelly is not a Baba buyer for many of the reasons that Mr. Steven at the end of the desk talked about. I don't feel like I have an edge on this trade war tariff. Uh, thing, and I think this is right in the crosshairs of this, so not a buyer. Steve? I've been in and out of Alibaba. I am out of it right now, but I agree with Mr. Tepper. 
I would be a buyer of Alibaba. I think you have to wait a little bit and see how the trade news uh, shakes out just a bit. All right, two buys, one sell. The desk was voted. It's your turn now. Go to at CNBC Fast Money on Twitter. Cash your vote. We'll reveal the final results later in the show. Also ahead, it's been a turbulent year for shares of American Airlines, but we will tell you what the CEO said today that has investors running to the stock. More Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. American Airlines holding a shareholder meeting today as the company looks to bounce back from a turbulent year down nearly 30 percent as the entire airline industry copes with the Boeing 737 MAX grounding. Let's get to Phil LeBeau in Chicago with all the details. Phil. And Larissa, one reason that we saw a bit of a bounce in, in American shares today is because Doug Parker was asked during the analyst meeting, hey, what do you think about your company? Is it undervalued? He goes, look, not only do I think Americans undervalued, I think the entire airline sector is undervalued. He was also asked about the 737 MAX and whether or not they're a little too optimistic, expecting it to bring be back on the schedule in the beginning of September. September 3rd is the date. Here's what he had to say. We wouldn't be selling seats today if we didn't think that was uh, a highly likely um, possibility, uh, and that's what we believe. We believe it's a highly likely possibility that we'll be, the aircraft will be flying and we'll be able to provide that service by September 3rd. Just a reminder, you've got American, Southwest, and United all with the MAX being delayed at least somewhere in between August and the beginning of September. Now, out at the Code Conference, Ed Bastian, CEO of Delta Airlines, was asked by our Carl Quintanilla about the MAX. Even though Delta doesn't fly it, the question was, does he believe that this plane will be up and flying, let's say, by September or October? Here's what Ed Bastian had to say. I think it's probably going to be longer than anyone would like it to be. Uh, not only with respect to the FAA and the certification issues on the airplane, I just think consumer confidence in the product's gonna take a while to come back. And what's the key to restoring that confidence? Ed Bastian, Ed Parker, everybody says the same thing in the industry. It's going to take time. It's going to take not only the executives flying the MAX when it comes back into service, but just over time, getting the public to say, okay, they've got the fix in place and everything's fine with this plane. As you take a look at the airline index, it's been a rough year, Melissa. This is, you know, these stocks have just, they haven't done much. I mean, a few exceptions, United being one of them. But generally speaking, it's been a rough year for the airlines. Yeah, global growth fears and uh, grounding of the 737 MAX, not a good combination. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau you in bet. Chicago for us. Um, Brian Kelly, where do you stand on the airlines? And do you have to believe that the 737 MAX will um, be in flight once again by the fall in order to be an investor in some of these ones that are um, more exposed? Well, that probably are more exposed. I mean, something like a Southwest. Yeah, you certainly. I mean, but if I'm talking the, the airline sector in general, I just think you need a catalyst. And that's been my problem. These things have been coiling up. They look like they're ready for a move. Um, but the problem is I can't identify that catalyst. Maybe it's going to be lower oil. I doubt that's really going to do it. I think the global growth concerns have just hit these. And it's going to be, I agree with uh, Delta Airlines CEO, it's going to be a long time before these before consumers are ready to get back on these planes. But but if you think about the capacity kind of tailwind, yes, there's maybe a pun intended uh, there for ooh. this. You actually look at United. They gave us recent uh, for May through August uh, quarter. Basically, they're going to see year over year plus 3.5% capacity. By the way, that's something that is well in the price. At one point, pushed it down. Um, but because of the max, you've actually brought that in about 30 basis points. So there's some people that think it might actually put a little bit more discipline. But most important thing for the airlines here is they trade as if we're in a recession now. So when we get the recession, does that actually uh, perversely you know, make it almost a trigger to the upside? Delta trades it you know, about nine times, which to me is a recessionary level. Um, but as Phil pointed out, they're right in the middle of a range. I mean, they are trading stocks. And, and I think at 51, you buy Delta. All right. Take a look at our Kramer cam. 
at Jim. Uh, he's talking Revolve, uh, talking Revolve, the shares of the millennial retailer. Oh, I didn't know Revolve was a retailer. Huh. I'm not a millennial. So uh, they're soaring. It's Wall Street debut last week. He's got that and much more coming up at the top of the hour. Still ahead on Fast, the United Tech and Raytheon mega deal under fire today as hedge fund investor Bill Ackman takes aim at the potential merger. But we will tell you why options traders are still betting defense is your best offense. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shows of United Technologies up today after getting slammed ever since President Trump expressed disapproval with a potential merger with Raytheon. But as even more opposition from shareholders like Bill Ackman emerges, options traders are suddenly feeling bullish on this stock. Mike goes in San Francisco with all the action. Mike. Hi there. It's common to see above average activity in the options of stocks that are involved in deal activity as Raytheon and United Technologies are. Raytheon saw about four times the number of calls trading as puts and United Technologies more than six times the number of calls traded relative to puts. And the most active amongst those calls were the June 124 calls. Those are the ones that expire a week from to, uh, Friday. And these buyers were paying about $2.40. So they're making a bet that it's going to be up at least 2% by the end of next week, but presumably they're betting on further gains than that since they are obviously looking to see some profits. And I would point out one other thing, that if you do see some premium sellers, and that is also common in deal stocks like this, that could still be pointing towards bets that this merger would actually take place because they might be betting that the combined entity would have lower volatility than the individual stocks did before they merged. Mark, you like defense? I do. I do. I like defense. I think it's a great area right now. We've seen some good performance coming out of defense. I think it's going to continue. Uh, as far as the, this merger, I mean, I think it's a great merger for both companies. It creates pretty much a 50-50 split between uh, defense and commercial revenue. So um, I, I think it's a good deal. General Dynamics was the, my pick the other night, figuring that uh, rising tide lifts all boats. This mm -hmm. has been the laggard in the space. But we do know that President Trump, when he takes a position on something, he likes to be right. So I think he's going to voice a lot of opposing views to this. Whether or not he has all the facts or not, uh -huh. I think he's going to be a headwind. This merger goes through more pressure on GE? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, look, this is going to be a formidable company uh, to any competitor out there. I, I just think, though, that the overall defense sector has traded uh, very poorly relative to itself. This was, this was the place to be for two years, kind of into 2017. Um, and since that point, and Boeing is front and center, and some of this really is uh, the overall weighting of the indices. And, and, and I, I just think there's people that are running out of these trades. These stocks got expensive. They were worth paying for. At this point, I'm not. I think there's going to be a chance to buy these. I mean, if you look at the political part of the analysis here, what are they not going to cut in the budget? Defense. Mm -hmm. So you want to be there. So at some point, there's going to be a chance to buy them. All right. Thank you, Mike Co. for Options Action for the full show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, the Twitter poll reveal huh. and the final trade. Stay tuned. Time to reveal the results of our Twitter poll. It was the return of the rookie, but... Tony Braxton. Oh. Hey, Tony. He struck out again. It was close. And the dance version. Wow. Yeah. Really bad. 5% no. 45% <laughs> yes. There's always another time mark. Uh, final trade, Tim. Yeah, I was listening to some Tony Braxton on Delta Airlines yesterday. The airlines <laughs> are priced for recession. I own Delta here. I stay there. DK. You know what traded worse than the stock market today? The oil market. You sell XOP. Mark. You know I like Alibaba, and I love it at 160 bucks, so I'm buying it. Awesome. I've been saying buy McDonald's. It finally broke out above the $200 level. Use that as your sell stop if it trades back down. McDonald's. All right. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money Jim Cramer begins right now. Enjoy 20.
Come on, This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.